In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Uh, the section that we're going to be looking at is Matthew 26, so you can open up your service folder. I've got it on page 2, I think I have an earlier version of the service folder. I think most of you will have it on page 3 as well. Uh, this is our account, which we read earlier. Uh, when evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve, and while they were eating, he said, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me. They were very sad and began to say to him one after another, Surely you don't mean me, Lord. Jesus replied, The one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him, but woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. Then G Judas, the one who would betray him, said, Surely you don't mean me, Rabbi. And Jesus answered, You have said so. Uh, there's a number of festivals that happen in the Old Testament. So if you follow the Old Testament, if you follow the Old Testament, there's a number of kind of major feasts that God called the Old Testament people to go all the way to Jerusalem for. So you can kind of test in your mind those three feasts. So can you think in your mind which are the three feasts that you were supposed to go to Jerusalem for? One is Passover, so I'm going to steal one right away. One is Passover, and then about 50 days later, it rhymes with Lentecost, <laughs> Pentecost, and then, and then the, probably the most obscure one that no, almost no one knows is the Feast of Tabernacles. Is anyone familiar with the Feast of Tabernacles? This is pretty rare, so if, you, if you'd look about the history of the Jewish people, you'd see Jerusalem right around the fall time. They have a festival that reminds them how they lived in tents, and God took care of them in the wilderness. So everyone was required. These adult males were required to go once a year, and they would stay in these kind of makeshift huts and tents outside to remember what God had done for them. So that's one of the times, and we actually have a recording, obviously, where Jesus made multiple trips to Jerusalem. And one of those trips, as we're studying Jesus' timeline in Bible class and Sunday mornings, it looks like he celebrated four different Passovers. And we, of course, have his last one recorded. And you can look... If you go and just Google the upper room, you can actually see what they believe to be the upper room where the disciples celebrated the Last Supper with Jesus. I don't know if you knew that. It's actually remarkably large. It seems, I mean, from the pictures, I haven't been there yet. I'm hoping to go. Uh, when I turn uh, 20 or 25 years in the ministry, that's when I'm hoping to go. And I've, I'm only at, what are we at, 17? I'm asking my wife, and she's like, don't ask me this question. All right. <laughs> 2002, I'm doing some math, so 17 years. So it looks like it's about as big as our atrium right out there, so it's not, a, it's a bigger room than you anticipated. And when I was growing up as a kid, I pictured something like the size of my dining room as a kid, and they just have 12 people kind of crammed in there, but it's got vaulted ceilings, it's kind of a beautiful upper room. So why does this all matter? Uh, we, the scene that takes place that we're looking at is in the upper room, and there's a number of things that happen when we talk about what is happening in the upper room. So just think in your head, there's a lot of things that happen. We're going to cover this in our series. We're coming each day of Holy Week starting on Sunday. We're going to start with Monday and go all the way through Good Friday. But on the upper room, of course, the Lord's Supper happens up there. Uh, we know in the upper room, that's where Jesus does, uh, gives comforting words to his disciples. It's on that Thursday night where he has high priestly prayer. So if you're reading in John, you can read about that. You can read about the comfort that Jesus brings. But there's two kind of major things that I think um, actually, I'll say one more thing. Jesus says, um, a new command I give you to love one another. That happens in the upper room. But there's two things that I think if I was one of the disciples that would have stuck with me. And if I was sitting there, and this happens kind of right in the middle of them kind of joking around, like who's the greatest of the disciples. And right in the middle of this, Jesus just like stands up and makes his way over to the basin 
in the corner, and if it was in the corner, but he goes to make his way over to the basin, puts the towel around him, and he starts to wash their feet, like one by one. So you can imagine kind of jostling around about that, because the, the Seder suppers are very long, three hours they are today. So it's this long kind of celebration meal, uh, multiple glasses of wine where they talk about the history of the Jewish people, and then suddenly Jesus stands up, and he just makes his way from person to person to person. You can imagine, like, it just goes silent. And you can imagine, like, each person doesn't even know what to say, just kind of waiting their turn, humbled because maybe they should have been standing up and they're saying uh, like you can picture Peter of course Peter is like no not just my feet you know let's do the whole deal and he's like you're, you're missing the point here again right so so this is this is what's happening and you can imagine like actions speak louder than words and I think you could think of examples in your life where the actions of like your parents or your grandparents speaks louder than anything they ever said so that's one thing that I think would stick with them kind of forever when he talks about being a servant to all people the second one is just the one that we read I can't imagine what it was like in the midst of conversation, and you, if you have it right in front of you, you can see, Jesus asked this question and makes this statement, truly I tell you that, verily, verily, is kind of how it's translated in some translations, I tell you that one of you will betray me. Now, none of us like to accusations, how many of you are a fan of accusations against you? Like, no one likes this, right? Have you ever gotten anything in the mail? Uh, I, we got in a car accident years and years ago, uh, but I remember that the insurance agent called and said, just so you know, you're being sued. I'm like, what? I've never been sued in my life that I knew of, you're right? So this was the story. He's like, no big deal. Happens all the time. Don't worry about it. I'm like, what is happening here? And uh, you know, this is what happens. They, they go through the lawyers and you'll find that I've never had an insurance company let me know that I was being sued. Never had to go to court or anything like that. But how does that make you feel if someone would say that to you? How would it feel like if you get a summons that says you need to appear in court? Does that, does that feel good? No, it doesn't feel good. And how does it feel when the Savior of the world says, listen, one of you is going to betray me? So instantly, I think the way our mind works, if someone makes an accusation, I'm going to do it, okay, right here. It's very mild, don't worry. Don't worry, <laughs> like I haven't, I haven't set you up. But uh, one of you left your lights on. And so now you're rolling through your head, right? And you're like, what? It wasn't me. And you're like, you're, the husband's looking at his wife or the wife's looking at her husband. You're like, what, did you leave the lights on? So one of you left your lights on. But now you're going to feel better as I narrow this down. So someone left their lights on. They parked on the south side right over here. So some of you are like, Whew, right? And then I'm going, to, I'm going to add it a little bit longer. It's a foreign car. Are you feeling better? Or and it's a Subaru. That doesn't actually narrow it down in Colorado. That actually increases the choices. <laughs> so it's a Subaru, and it's a blue 2016 Subaru that leaves the only people here would be us and the side bottoms. I didn't know this. this. They had music practice the other day. We own one of these cars. And I s literally sat out for more than 10 seconds, which is embarrassing, hitting it, hearing it go boop, boop, and then trying the door. I'm going boop, boop. <laughs> and then I remembered like, oh, I didn't park right here. And this is not actually my blue Subaru. So I went, <laughs> I went four over and I got in the right one. But did you notice that there's a sense of relief? And there's a sense of relief. There's a sense of confidence. And there'd be a confidence if you have never left your lights on ever, right? Maybe you have a car that automatically shuts it off. Or maybe you're really particular and you work for Boeing and you work for Lockheed or something like that. I'm not saying what your job might be. But you just shut the lights off and you always look back and you watch them shut off, right? You hear it click. My daughter has a new car. That This is what it sounds like when you lock the doors. I'm like, what? Like, so I'm like hitting it again. Like, that is not reassuring. I want, me, I want to know that, like, the lights flash and say, like, hey, I'm locked. Don't worry about it. No one's going to steal the stuff that you don't have. You know, like, so this, is, this makes me feel better. And so 
how do you think it's, what attitude do you think the disciples had? Do you think it's kind of one of this, this arrogant attitude when they said, um, surely it's not me, right? I mean, seriously, we've got 11 other choices here. It's definitely not me. Do you think that's the attitude or do you think it's a little bit different? When I read it, and I think the sentence before that, if you look at that, verse 22, they were very sad. And, I, and, and they all start making eye contact with Jesus. And, and they're very sad because it's one of these statements. Uh, it's one of these statements that accuses everybody. And no one knew, like, is it possible that Jesus is talking about me? So everyone in that room, is it I, am I the one? Is it? Am, am I going to be the guy who's going to do that? That's how I read it. And so as they read that, there's this kind of heart, and they ask this question, it's kind of crushing and crushing, and they're trying to figure out, are they the one who's going to tip over? To me, this is one of the hardest, hardest things. They're filled with grief. They're filled with guilt. They're trying to figure out, is this me? And to me, this is one of the harder things um, as a kid when I would read about Judas. Is this very difficult for anybody else? Like, when I read, how is it possible that Judas could witness like 5,000 people being fed? How is it possible that he could walk around with Jesus every day? And how is it possible that he could see people being healed? He's one of the 72, right? The 12, he sends them out and he says, go and preach in my name and perform miracles. How could a guy who very likely, through the power of God, was able to perform miracles, how could all of these things happen? And how could he betray Jesus? Like, how does that even make sense? And Jesus said, I mean, very harsh words, it would have been better if this person had not been born. The same question is what I ask to you, I think, on, on an Ash Wednesday, when you, you look at your own sin, and it's really easy to look at everyone else and wonder, like, why would Judas ever do that? But I think it's a little bit harder when you say, like, how could I, how could I do the things that I do? Knowing that you see God's word, is God's word confusing? Knowing God's expectations and what you look at or what you say, knowing God's expectations and how you act, knowing God's expectations and how you live your life, I think there's a real moment where not in arrogance, and God would say, one of you has sinned. I don't think anyone here is looking around like, not me, what are you talking about? I think when you start to look, um, it's like looking in a mirror. And I think this is what Lent does, this journey of Lent for 40 days. We, we skip the, the Sundays, if you're trying to figure that out. But we skip all these Sundays. But there's 40 days where we look in a mirror. So I'm going to ask you a question. How many of you know what is behind you and vividly know what's behind you in your mirror in your bathroom? Like you look through the mirror and you often just look at the wall behind you. How many of you know what that looks like? I've got, I've got some awesome mini blinds with some hairspray on them, so that's, that's what I have. But if you'd ask me that, I don't think I ever notice. Because when you look in the mirror, what do you look at? You look at yourself. I mean, that's the point. If you're in the bathroom getting ready, you're not just like looking at the mirror, trying to do something. I mean, most of the time you're looking at yourself. And the, the hard part with Lent is the mirror is really like God's word. And we're, we're looking into God's word, God's expectations. And what we see is so hard. And I think we get to a point, just like the disciples, where we feel grief, where we feel anguish, we feel anxiety, we feel this guilt, because we have betrayed the very one who has set all these things up. But if you wanted to, could you look past yourself in a mirror and see what was behind you? East, uh, at Easter and Lent and those put together is really that. It's trying to look very clearly at God's word and seeing what's behind us. And what behind, what's behind us is hope. Because 
and what, behind, what is behind us is forgiveness, and what is behind us is peace because we see Jesus. And in this upper room, and I, we're going to find comfort when we feel this weight of our own sin, and get, we're going to get a chance to have a confession a little bit later, way longer than we normally do, just a time to just walk through this sense that I have sinned against the creator of the world. But at the end of that, like just like anything, we see a glimmer of hope. And this is what it says where I, where I find hope. Uh, verse 24, if you're looking along, it says, The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him. The Son of Man, Jesus, who is true God and true man on this earth. And I think there's something that's very comforting in that. When the Bible talks about it, it says that Jesus understands every single one of your temptations. It says Jesus has been through these things. Jesus has suffered through these things. Jesus has seen every single thing. That's what Lent is based on, these 40 days of temptation. But every single time without sin. And we see this, this image of Jesus standing tall, doing exactly what he is called to do. And instead of crushing us, it gives us hope that says Jesus knows where we've been. And, and here's a, a real key thing. Jesus doesn't know what you're experiencing. Jesus doesn't know uh, the, the sins you struggle with. Jesus doesn't know the, the, you know the temptations you've had. And just because he's God and he knows all things. Jesus doesn't know these things just because he's God. Jesus knows these things because he really was a man who lived in a sinful world and the burdens and the suffering that you know Jesus knows, like for real. And he says, I have come for a reason. It says he goes. And uh, verse 24, the son of man will go just as it is written about him. This is not the Judas story. We're not talking about um, the betrayal, the written about him. But you think about before time, and, and if you imagine this scenario, that before all things were set up, Adam and Eve in this perfect garden and everything is fantastic, and then they fall into sin. And just imagine that. It says God's, you know, God is there in the Garden of Eden and he's cursing the devil. And he says, cursed are you above all animals. And it goes on with the serpent. But then what is God's promise? He says, I'm going to make things right. I'm going to do something about it. And you think about all these prophecies. We don't know the date of creation. You know, people have guessed and Usher has guessed. But it goes all the way through. And then we get into like the 700s and it talks about the one who's come and the 500 and talks about the one who's come. And all of this culmination hits on a single evening on a Thursday. And it says the son of man will go just as it is written. All these prophecies culminate in that very moment. And so Jesus goes, he goes out those doors and what does Jesus face? All these things that he has to go and be flogged. He has to sit in a mock trial. He has to be among Pilate. And all of these things coming at him. He goes to a cross, a place that the creator of the world has never been. And he goes to a tomb, another place he has never been. But then he leaves. Then he rises. Because the payment that he has done is enough. The payment that he has done is for for you, he steps into this world. And for you and your forgiveness, he goes all the way to the cross. For you, he goes all the way to the grave and he rises again. And when he rises and just before he leaves his disciples to go into heaven forever, just before he goes up, he says, um, you don't have to be afraid because I'm going to be with you always. I'm going to make everything right. The question I think that we ask, just like, is it I... Um, the answer is yes. Every single one of us need to get on our knees and confess our sins to a holy God. 
But then when you hear the promises of God, I think there's a little bit different question that's very similar. We say, is it I that this promise is for? The answer is yes. Is that forgiveness for you? Is that peace for you? Is that promise of heaven for you? Absolutely. And so we walk. We get 40 days in the hustle and bustle of our world and all these things going on, all these distractions. And I'm sure all of you have jobs to go to tomorrow. You got things going on. Your kids have activities to go to. But now you just get a moment to contemplate for 40 days to think, where do we stand with God? And God says, I've seen your sin. I know your sin, not just because of God. I know your sin because I've seen it in the real world. And I've come for you. I will go, he says, to forbrave your sins. Amen.